0: Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
2: Hello, folks. Welcome to Wargaming Month here on The Napoleon Assist. A very quick reminder, smack the like button, remember to subscribe so you can find your way back, And leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It'll take you a few seconds of your time. It'll make a massive difference to me and my ability to reach a wider audience with the, the details of the work of my fantastic guests. If you are willing to go just a tiny bit further and dig into your own pocket, and believe me, I completely understand if you're not up for that, you can do so in two ways. You can become a regular supporter via Patreon. Different perks in each tier. Check the link in the description for more details on that. Or if a regular subscription isn't your thing, you can leave one-off tips via Ko-fi. Again, the link is in the episode description. Whatever support you're able to offer, as you know, I am massively grateful and enjoy the show. (laughs) Hello and welcome to Anarchy, quite frankly. Uh, you are here for another episode of The Napoleon Assist as we debate the greatest war game of the Napoleonic era, or on the Napoleonic era more accurately. Um, I say the Anarchy has started because it truly has. Let me give you the lineup of my guests. I am joined by the author of Bullock's Grain and Good Madeira, Josh Proven, Master of Adventures in Historyland, because it's been, oh I don't know, all about five days since I last <laughs> had Josh on the show. Um, so Josh, great to see you, my friend. How are you doing?
3: I'm doing very well. I have a new nickname in the last <clears throat> 10 minutes, so this is good
2: stuff. <laughs> we'll get to nicknames in just a second. Uh, chuckling in the background is Ed Coss, Emeritus Professor of Military History at the United States Command and General Staff College, and as I'm forever saying, the author of the exceptional book that is All for the King's Shilling. Ed, welcome back. How are you?
1: I have also acquired a new nickname so I am I am, I am just wonderful
2: um, and part of the reason I suspect that we're all acquiring nicknames tonight is that we are joined by the Napoleonic commentator and author Conrad Kinch Conrad you're a newbie to the Napoleonicist but I'm, I'm placing all of the blame for the anarchy squarely at your door How are you doing my friend
4: I am very well and as, um, as always I am the death of good intentions a
2: hell of a way to introduce yourself um and last but by no means least we are joined ladies and gentlemen i am very pleased to say i've finally convinced her to join us on the napoleon assist the queen of naval twitter is in the house the naval researcher master of all things to do with nelson's navy kate jameson is with us kate good to see you how are you doing
5: hi yeah good thanks
2: so I said at the start that we are going around the room giving ourselves... Well, actually, I tried to give myself a nickname and got told I wasn't allowed to and then petulantly stamped my foot like the diva that I am about Charles this. Lash. <laughs> yeah. Josh is now giving it's, the orders on this it, podcast. I'm not sure you're Lash. aware of the fact that... Lash. Hang on, hang on, hang on. I've got the mute button here. See what I mean about the anarchy? <laughs> um, it's, it's all gone to hell. Lash so, to apparently I'm, <laughs> so apparently I'm Lash. <laughs> um, <laughs> Ed is just dying in a corner. Um, Josh, you are bullocks.
3: Apparently so. Yes. Bullen.
4: Bullock. <clears throat> just bullock. Oh, sorry, bullocks. Bullock. Singular. Yep. Singular. Okay. Full okay. of bullocks, but yeah. he talks bullock. a lot of bullocks, doesn't he? I do. Yes.
2: Yeah. We're gonna make and, my career out of this. Yeah. Ed, what was yours? showing yeah. Oh, of course. Oh, you're the one who started it off, wasn't it?
3: We hadn't, we hadn't, we hadn't got to, to Conrad yet. Conrad.
4: Um, Conrad
2: now suddenly doesn't look suddenly quite so He doesn't tiny. get to
4: give himself well, one. I, there, 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 we there, you see, him. the thing is, I can't see so you have to pick one for me. Exactly. That's right.
2: Is it too obvious to go with cat face? That sounds like <laughs> an insult.
4: Hmm. Okay. <laughs> L- well, it, could be Go it, could, it could be better. It could be cat's arse. Um, it could be. Could be litter box. <laughs> it could be litter box. It could be litter box. Although oh. I was what I was once uh, I was once told by a, a very very angry man at a uh, at a football match that I had a face like a pig's abortion, and that is a, that is an insult that has stayed with me, and I'm treasuring. I'm, I'm
3: voting for litter
4: box because it just rolls I off the tongue. Sure. Litter
1: box. Yes. Why not?
4: <laughs> It would
2: be unkind of me to make a casting vote in this situation, wouldn't it? 32-1, um, so
4: litter box outed. Litterbox kids.
2: Um Okay.
4: The, the, then, the,
3: this wild was bunch, not, the Wild Bunch ride again.
2: This was not how I expected this episode to start. Um, For those of you who aren't familiar with how these normally work, but as you can hear, all rules have gone out the window tonight. um, My guests have five minutes to make their pitch on their choice of the greatest war game, but crucially, they have to make the case of why that is the greatest. I will then ask some willfully acerbic questions, as is my way, before we open it up to the floor. And we're going to dive straight into the deep end, and I'm going to go to... Head.
3: Okay. I,
1: I've had the uh, recent realization that I've been doing this for almost 40 years in regards to wargaming. And uh, Napoleonic stuff started me When I, back when I was trying to lean into academics. It was the opening door. So I've explored this with great eagerness, especially when I was much, much younger. And for me, it comes down to, you have to define your terms before you can pick your game because Napoleon works at the strategic, operational and tactical. So which of those levels of warfare are you trying to, uh, which speak to you the most? And then you have to find, since every game is a model, which of these models best replicates what you think applying historical uh, you know the the modeling to it which one seems to resonate and and rings true it's it's difficult because you're stuck with realism versus uh, complexity you're stuck with authors who don't know combat dynamics of the Napoleonic era you're stuck with the hundreds and hundreds of games that are out there on Napoleon. So that's my opening that there's, it's such a wide, wide world. Uh, but for me, I was always a tactical guy. I was always at the tip of the spear, In fact, my license plate, you know, it was tip of the spear, that's my, my handle. And for me, the one game that resonated closer, to anything, because if you look at historical methodologies, does that play out in the game and gets you historical results? And it has to be uh, compelling, both visually and for me, that long intro that, that Waterloo 1815 uh, put out by Trafalgar Games. Uh, it's a block game. It looks like one of the Napoleonic maps. Uh, it has frontages so you have column versus line it's got um, all the formations and they have different movements and they do it very simply off of a bar and you move so far on the bar the map is not hexagoned or anything it is just a topographical map Uh, and it seems when i've played it to give me the most immersive experience where i don't stop and go well that's That's bollocks, sorry, Uh, uh, that just doesn't ring true. That that doesn't seem right. Now, a friend of mine who's been painting miniatures for 40 some years too, uh, he's been into this in a different way than I am. We always end up having to jury rig rules because we want to get the best result that we can get that doesn't cause us all that dissonance. And so far with Waterloo 1815, he actually just plays the game with me, which is remarkable because he's a game designer and he's always picking and complaining and doing everything. But this is a hugely visual because you get the colored blocks. Each one are labeled by brigade. It's a brigade level game. Leadership plays in, you've got artillery. Uh, you've got you know, three kinds of cavalry. It's just so immersive, and yet it doesn't take 10 hours to play. So I'm sure I could go with much, much more detail, but of all the games in four years, I've played back from Empire, uh, miniature rules, and I'm totally a miniaturist when I come to Napoleonic stuff. But of all the games through all these years, this one rings truest for me. So there's my five minutes.
2: A guest sticking to five minutes. This is unheard of on this show. Ed, thank you for that. Um, A nice case made as well. Uh, I was very fortunate that a certain somebody went and bought me uh, this game uh, not so long ago. It is stunning in terms of its... I want to say complexity. I'm not sure if complexity is quite the right word, but attention to detail is absolutely up there. It's one of those where you could if you struggle to visualize how the deployment at waterloo changes over the course of the day the fact that as you say you've got these brigade level uh, tokens means you can actually just use this as a learning exercise and you can start to move these brigades around and visualize for those who need that kind of ability to see it in front of them as i certainly do visualize how deployment changes and get a much better sense of Placement of ground in there for a much better understanding of waterloo so just as a if you'd just put the rules to one side for a moment uh, just as a, a a thing to own and a thing to have it's a lovely lovely game um in terms of questions i'm quite stuck for questions this is not a phrase you often hear from me you, you say, say... <laughs> well exactly um you say that your board game designer friend is just quite kind of content to, to sit back and, and play the game. There must be things about it, though, that occasionally you kind of go, hmm, yeah, but, you know, we, we often talk about things like biases towards particular uh, nations. I'm sure we're going to come across the, the discussion of to what extent are the French overpowered in each of these games. Do you kind of come across any things that you go, hmm, that niggles?
1: Well, the fact that there are no light troops at all, no skirmishers, no light, that, that's an issue. But then this friend who's also been trying to create his own Napoleonic set of rules for miniatures for 40 years. And sometimes he throws them in and sometimes he has to throw them out because when you get another level of complexity, that adds time. Uh, so he kind of complains about that a little bit, which is ironic again, because sometimes he goes with it. Uh, We haven't had that many issues. Sometimes we stop and and debate. Now, my friend is a brilliant guy. He's the most creative painter of figures. He has, we we missed the deadline, 2015. He's been painting Waterloo figures. He has almost 10,000 painted at 20 millimeters. And they're the most remarkable things with each standard hand painted. They're crazy. But he will stop and consider these things and he hasn't read extensively because he's been more into the painting what the uniforms look like so he has his preconceptions especially about order systems and so he'll stop and his big complaint was the french can cut kind of, the cores can kind of move like they want to move I uh, said, so, well yeah they've got a generalized decentralized order from napoleon and a lot of things can go wrong so he didn't want A commander because he was thinking about playing this with like four people he don't want to have a commander have writ large to do what he wanted to do but you kind of do so that's been our biggest argument is that the the order system or the lack of order system
2: and equally in terms of accessibility how easy is this for you to just if you've never touched one of these games before in your life if you're coming to this new how good is this as a routine?
1: What's amazing, including a sequence of play, that this whole thing only has 16 pages of rules. back in the day we used to have hundred. So I would say that if you had seen the West Point Atlas series, if you'd seen the Map series, and you'd read some of David Chandler and uh, you know some of Alan Forrest, whatever, and you've just had a generalized conceptualization even if you'd read some of the sharp stuff, which isn't always the most accurate, but if you had created some mental pictures, this I think would help you because of the frontages and you can go, oh, a column takes up this wide, which is why if I have to go to, through the like, I've got to go in these tight columns. I can't spread in the line. I think if you had a general understanding, this is pretty accessible, but like every war game, somebody's inviting you in and you're hoping the guy who bought the game could walk you through it but uh, I don't find it to be terribly difficult or most of the Napoleonic tactical games are three times this or five times this this more complexity in regards to, to rules you have to fight through.
2: Conrad wants to come in with a question. Who am I to uh, stand in the way of the guy who was allowed anarchy to on the Napoleonists <laughs> tonight?
4: Conrad, take it away. Uh, just a, a question then. So, if these blocks are deployed on the field at all, um, given that a cornerstone, and I'm just to uh, to um, I think it's uh, to paraphrase Thirty Rock, just playing devil's avocado. Um, but if one of the cornerstones of the duke's uh posture in the the waterloo battle was that he deployed a reverse slope defense which prevented the enemy from seeing most of his uh deployment um and sort of cloaking his you know where his main strength lay is it possible to do that in this game yes or and I does, would, does I would the think, player was have re- uh, sorry go ahead or does does the the player have a god's eye view
1: well, you do see everything, but I was remiss in saying it's a topographical map completely. So you put your guys beyond the slope, there's, there's a line of sight to them is gone, so you can't fire at them. But unfortunately, you know that they're there. And I have never okay. seen a complete Napoleonic game with that hidden movement, hidden... Nobody's quite figured that out, even with computers.
2: How to make that rock yeah we'll we'll have a conversation actually about computers but you're dead right actually that although people will be jumping up and down saying ah but rome 2 total war has that thing where if you're in a particular kind of dip or a fold within a landscape um then you can't be seen it's worth bearing in mind folks that rome 2 total war post dates napoleon total war um more upon which we will hear in just a moment Josh, I'm going to throw it over to you in terms of questions. Any any thoughts on this one?
3: Well, uh, being a, a general uh, amateur and completely inexperienced when it comes to practical war games, it has to be said. Um, I don't have a great deal of insight into what makes a good game or a bad game. I'm aware of certain systems and uh, obviously the more model based ones versus the sort of more tabletop ones like you've just described here uh, so I'm not 100% aware of the, the sort of the the complexities of them all but I have to say that I, I very much like how you've described it it sounds like a very good game a game that um, can can, it's one of those games that you don't think is going to be sort of interesting because it's not as visual as having all the toy soldiers out and stuff like that. But it sounds like something that actually would would legitimately become one of your favorites. I can see why from your description. It's a great game, and uh, you know, I I might just have to go and Google it to to find out where to get it from. To be honest,
1: yeah, you can go to Board Game Geek, and it'll mm-hmm. guide you through. Mm-hmm. Uh, I
3: think, I think like what you were saying, the thing to remember about board games is that they can be instructional. You know, you can learn from them depending on how good the writer of the, the rules are and such and, and sort of the way it's displayed. But there is a game at the end of the day, you know, um, and like you say, you're all even, it, no model game, no, no game played on a table can escape the fact that you can't see everything um and you can see what everybody's doing and everything like that and there are always going to be constraints so no no i have no i have nothing to try and cut your legs out from you with um with this i think it's a great idea for a game and um it is probably a really good way to teach people about the battle of waterloo to be honest
1: a very good point about the the overview the, the god's eye thing uh i think we could mitigate that a little bit. It's an inherent flaw of every board war game. It just is Uh, placing some small paper over your formations that others can't see. I haven't gotten into it that. I mean, this is the best part is I can set this up and and I really look forward to having Zach come over to America. And that's the one game I want to put in front of him. And it's a social game where when my friend does his 10,000 napoleonics and he does all the terrain it's a it's taken him all these years he sets it up I cannot remember the last time we played it 15 years ago because it's all painting it's all terrain it's all work and then the setup time is like three hours and you play it for like eight hours usually at a convention and then you pack it all up and go home and everybody's exhausted and this next time when he's going to try to do He wanted to do Waterloo 2015, but it might be Waterloo 225 at this rate. Uh, But if we do it, we want to get it set up someplace where we could have it set up over multiple days so that the fatigue of the players – and he does a lot of the – he overviews it. So if you can't see a unit, he doesn't put it on the board so you don't know it's there. He's got his own hand map. It's really – Fascinating how he does it. It does add a whole level of realism to the game. And you find out that people's, and I hate to be gross about this, just a phrase, that their sphincters get really, really tight when suddenly they don't have that top-down view. And their willingness to maneuver and do anything dries up. So their people's criticisms about generals of the past or generals in that particular battle. It is really interesting to watch you lose that God's eye thing. Man, you change as a commander unless you really have the stones to to take that aggressive. And then you realize that these historical commanders really didn't have this viewpoint. And wow, it's that much harder. But I've seen guys talk a lot of trash and then Mike introduces these rules and they play the rest of the six hours sitting on their hands because they're afraid to do anything but I wish we had a way to make that uh, more accessible to people.
2: Ed thank you you've made an incredibly compelling case for that one just remind people again of the game and where they can get this because this is a point that people are going to want to go and play these so the title of it is
1: Waterloo 1815 and it's by a wonderful Spanish company called Trafalgar Editions that's what it is Trafalgar Editions
2: Okay, folks, Um, it can be bought. Uh, There are multiple versions, some of them with cardboard tokens, um, others with actual wooden ones, which are very nice, I have to say, although you do pay for the the extra little bit of workmanship um, that goes into that. Uh, Ed, thank you very much for that one. Um, Thank you. We're going to chop and change between genres over the course of tonight. And this next one is an absolute pearl. Comrade, floor is yours.
4: Okay. Well, I, I would uh, preface this by uh, pointing out that, unlike the two gentlemen here, I am merely an enthusiastic amateur. I am not a historian. I am at best an entertainer. Um, uh, but I do, um, I've been playing war games in one shape or other since I was seven years old. Um, and uh, I was I was brought up on the pa- Sandhurst Book of War Games by Paddy Griffith, um, playing those with my dad. But the game that I have picked, and I'm a died in the wool toy soldier man, but if you're going for the best Napoleonic war game, I think the best Napoleonic war game, the, the one that you have to pick um, is a Napoleonic, uh, could everyone who was fought in Napoleonic battle please raise their hands? <laughs> Excellent, That that's what I thought. So this is the von Reiswitz, von Reiswitz Kriegspiel of 1824, written by uh, George Heinrich Rudolf Johann von Reiswitz, who, unlike everyone here, is a man who had, uh, he was born in 18, and uh, sorry, 1794, he died in 1827, and he actually smelt powder um he was the son of a baron uh he joined the prussian army as a volunteer uh i think he was he was a volunteer in the artillery at the age of 16 in nice uh nice sorry i think i'm pronouncing that wrong um he took part in the battle of Gloglau, i think i'm pronouncing that correctly at the age of 19 um in 1813 where he was promoted um a uh, second lieutenant and received an iron cross uh, second class which is not uh, an award that comes up with the rations um and his father had worked on this as the idea that that it was a, a, a game that could be used as a, a training um exercise and uh, apparently they both worked on it for about 12 years his father lost interest he kept. Um, he kept working on it and essentially uh, it created the idea of the Kriegspiel. I mean, he's known as uh, as as the sort of one of the creators of Wargaming or the Godfather of Wargaming. Um, and what you have is a quite detailed, excuse me, uh, quite detailed uh, game played on a topographical map um, with little um wooden or metal blocks of the appropriate size reflecting the uh, I believe the original was played on uh, a, uh, a map that was one to eight thousand yards or meters or it, the, the, the he makes reference in the introduction to a decimal Zol, which is a unit of measurement that I'm, I'm not familiar with but the this game is available it's available from the war games company two fat lardies Translated by Bill Leeson. Um, it will cost you ten uh, pounds sterling, and if you do nothing else, just reading it is worth is worth a look to see how someone who had actually fought in a Napoleonic black powder battle uh, thought about um, about it. Now, it can be criticised. It uses two minute turns. Uh, it's quite. Um, uh in depth in terms of you know this is the amount of firepower that you can put out over a period to over this two minute turn this is how effective it's going to be and so on and these were all based on a mixture of uh the uh some tests that had been done by the prussian army but also uh leavened by operational experience during during the napoleonic wars and one of the things and going back to uh, to Ed's point about the God's eye view is the Um, now I would say if you're interested in the Napoleonic period you owe it to yourself to get a copy of this just to read it to see what a thinking soldier thought uh, would be worth think, would be worth looking at and how he thought that the, the the actual realities of the battlefield might be represented I don't I think it is probably more useful as a training exercise than it is as a game to play but the the fundamentals of it are very interesting uh and one of the things that that it uses is it uses a double blind map system so you have the red team let's say playing for example the french in one room you have the blue team playing the prussians in the other room and they both have their maps and they only that. Uh, there is an umpire who has a master map which has everything on it and the umpire only gives the um each side the information that they have seen and Ed is absolutely right I've been running spiels, not using the 1824 rules but using the free Kriegspiel free Kriegspiel rules um outlined by uh, Paddy Griffith in his uh, book, uh, Napoleonic Wargaming for Fun. Uh, I sadly passed away before he could write Napoleonic Wargaming for Profit. But the the terror you see in people's eyes when they realise that they don't have perfect information. It is... um, it is an absolute joy. And I have run this game for enthusiastic amateurs. I've run it for professional soldiers. I've seen people grapple with the fact that I don't know what's on the other side of the hill. And I cannot... I, I, I Don't get me wrong. I love toy soldier games. I absolutely adore them. I have a room full of toy soldiers. Um, but if you actually want to put someone in the, the boots... Of a uh, of a a Napoleonic brigadier um, or uh, a, a general division, um, I can't think of a better one than Creeksbill. and it is uh, it is a unique experience because you there. There are means of adjudicating fire, there's means of adjudicating movement, but everything else, the movement of orders. One of the, one of the things that I found that people have really had difficulty grappling with is understanding that intelligence has a sell by date. And yes, you, a courier has arrived and given you this information, but that information is only accurate at the time that it was sent. And that you have to account for the the period of time it's taken the courier to get to you, um, and so on. And particularly with large scale, large scale, uh, Creekspiels, I think Josh, you played the, um, you played, a, a core level one, um, quite simplified one, which, you know, you had to think of your logistics because you, you were, you were drawing on, on your base, but in terms of, you know, as, as Klauswitz said, I, I think, uh, you know, one of the key, uh, aspects of of battle is determining what kind of battle you're in and what the nature and extent of that battle is and Creekspiel brings that because it has the uncertainty it has that element of the unknown and learning to grapple with that is uh is 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 a key skill in learning to to do that well now obviously it has its limitations it is a training tool rather than a game I don't think it's particularly accessible. I have literally never run it rules as written, but it is something that has informed my understanding of black powder combat uh, and the period, uh, because there is no other. Um, and uh, that, 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 that's, that's, I think it's unique virtue, um, but uh, that, that's my case for the 1824 rules. I
2: suspect that we might as well just all give up and go home now. That was well put, and boy, what a belter of a contender. Um, Like you say, it's hard to argue with the fact that this guy was there. He'd seen it, and so he's trying to generate something that builds upon his experiences of war, and, and that's hugely compelling, and... I would echo what you said in terms of people go out and buy this so that you can get that appreciation because it adds a different that's not to say that it's the same as reading a memoir memoirs have their own flaws and their own issues but in terms of understanding how somebody at least tried to go about replicating these things and kind of drew on that experience it's a hugely valuable exercise you kind of tapped on my only significant question on on this but I'll ask it anyway in terms
4: of endurance, how popular is it? Um, I am re- reliably informed that uh, publish the there was a the, the, the rules themselves I think are a tenor. Um, the specific maps that were used by the Prussian army, there's the Meckel map, which they don't actually reflect any. They are a made-up map. Which was effectively developed as a, a training exercise area, but um, I've played it on Ordnance Survey maps and and whatever else I had to hand. Uh, I'd actually, uh, anyway, that, that that's neither here nor there. Um, but to get a set, you'd you'd have to buy the, the the blocks and then the the map. Um, but I, I know, you know, you can get a sense of it. I mean, you could literally play it on a map with. Uh, pencil i'm currently playing a greek spiel at the moment using a uh, a um, magnetic uh notice board that i stole from my wife um and i've just cut terrain out of bits of construction paper stuck it on got bits of uh fridge magnet at the right size cut them to size and uh i'm, I'm currently playing a a sort of um fictional seven years war battle on it with some pals um so it is what you make it um but i think if you want uh, actually firstly i would say get the 1824 rules but if you actually want to play a game i would recommend uh paddy griffith's napoleonic wargaming for fun which includes mo- uh, several creek Kriegspiel- rules but it includes a core level crease spiel that's probably a bit more accessible and easier to work with
2: um i won't inquire whether or not you're sleeping on the sofa on the basis of all the stealing you've done um from your wife in terms of her uh, magnetic notice board and all of those fridge magnets um and instead i will throw it open to the rest of the group josh thoughts on this one
3: well unlike uh Unlike Schilling's pitch, I've actually played Kriegsspiel, uh, courtesy of Mister Mister Kinch here, uh, uh, our, our good friend, who just I got a random message one day. Do you want to play this 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 war game? <laughs> and I said, sure, whatever. Uh, hey, kid, the I'll... first one's free. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, through the auspices, it has to be said, you know, disclosure of our, of our good friend and compadre Litterbox here, um, I did get to play a Waterloo core level uh, Kriegspiel, uh, where um, I was the cavalry commander. Um, so, therefore, I had very little, I mean, I, d- I didn't have much to do. I was under orders of everybody else, pretty much, and got massacred, and um, mm-hmm wasn't my fault <laughs> I just died gloriously. that's what they all say yeah that's well, what I, they all say did I, I you, was, get, you
2: went and did a nay didn't you I was honest, I was
3: Josh. I was literally taken from the field I don't know what happened um <laughs> the um no but it was fascinating yeah um like what like what Ed was saying before and what you what we sort of brought from the Waterloo game of it par, par, probably being a great way to teach people about the dynamics of how how forces move, why they move, why some people seem just stupidly cautious and not wanting to commit themselves, why concentration of force is is so, so sort of um, delegated to in the 18th, and 19th century and things like that. You really get to understand that. And with Creekspiel, uh, the way we did it, which was admittedly without any pieces of paper, it was during one of the lockdowns, and we had to do it through cameras. Um, you know, it emphasises so much communication, fog of war, uh, why you prioritise routes, the way you move troops, um, like you say, the, the sell-by date of information. Um, and and in, in the one we did, which was based on Waterloo, you had the Prussians, the British and the French, and everybody is disconnected. We didn't know where the Prussians were. We didn't know where the French were. And um, it was fascinating. And it really did chime with a lot of, you know, I I have the advantage of having read a lot of books about Waterloo and about warfare in the 18th and 19th century. And it was clicking all the way through. That's exactly why he did it that way. That's exactly why he was worried about that. That's exactly why people that's the, the pace of warfare and everything like that is, is, is in this system. So, yeah, it's a great choice. And I'm not going to argue with the Prussian general.
2: <laughs> this is almost unheard of. Josh is, is not asking questions. What's happened to bullocks tonight? I don't, yeah. I, I don't know how to account for this.
1: Ed's lost them. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, bullocks. Uh, People, have to, I'm totally on board because I've gotten to do this before. This is the genesis of all war game. Modern war games come out of this thing right here, through the Prussian school. This is how they wanted to train their generals. This is that deal with uncertainty, Clausewitz's principles. They wanted to drive that home. Okay, you think you know this, but now the bridge is out. Now what are you going to do? Where's the enemy? How, you can sort of you can use it as a sorter too. Which of your commanders starts showing you the kind of initiative and and process, uh, love playing these. Uh, we did them at the Command General Staff College. Now the problem with it is you need three rooms, a lot of time where the game I offered was just we you and I could set it up, played across the a kitchen table. But when we played, I was fortunate to my uh, next door neighbor in the office, uh, gentleman by name, Chris Carnes was a master tactics instructor at CGSC. He also ran The Sims. And he did this mostly out of his own initiative. And we did everything from, I mean, just a list of historical games. And we would, we would be in one room, and the, the North Koreans would be over here. He did everything into Iran. We did all kinds of these. We found out some pretty remarkable things. When you take away that vision, that's the, the beauty and that's the purpose of this war game. And, that, you know, this particular choice is splendid. But we found that when we put people in various leadership positions, students, these are professional captains, majors, and lieutenant colonels, and you put them in positions and they don't have total understanding of what's going on. There's a big thing that the Army focuses on. You got to give everybody commanders intent. You got to give them the whole thing of what you're trying to do. Not all the details, but what's the purpose? So that when you're stuck over in the corner and things aren't going well, you're not sure what's going on, you will adhere back to that one purpose. We're here to defend the village, and we're to press the... And people just fell apart. It was, it was chaos often, and it was wonderful chaos. But we've had, we have had a couple of sims, we're so proud of it. We had a nurse, and I believe she was a finance officer. And they became the hammer and the anvil. And you would never have guessed the, from the start of this sim that they would have been able to envision where the enemy would be, what I need to do, how to use this terrain. And they took an actual operator, a guy who does this, and one of them pinned him took away his routes of escape. And the other one came in from the flank and hammered, and you couldn't have laid it out any better. And we got a nurse and a finance person. It's not exactly your your front of the line. And all that was offered because of this particular game and its mechanics. Uh, I was fortunate to play one of these run by Bruce Gunmanson, who runs these games at Marine Corps University for his soldiers, so it's Marine, sorry. Uh, I get killed if I said soldiers so Marines. Let me say that again: Marines. Uh, there was like eight of us on a side. You didn't know. All you got was your orders, and you were dispersed. We were the Prussians protecting, and we had no idea where the uh, French were. But the thing is, you you acquire map and you acquire map skills, and you can read where they're likely to go, where the choke, choke points are. What would Napoleon do? What would this commander do? And we we stopped, you know, we started all this communication with these other corps. And now all of a sudden, they stopped sending us anything. So we were down in the lower left flank. And we're going, hello. And they took our cavalry away. They pulled because they, they, they were sure it was coming through this gap up north. And I went, there's no way. There's no way because they'll get funneled. And son of a gun, if they didn't, all the French army come through the very part that we picked to defend. But we had dug in and we, the, the Prussian victory was we slowed up the French advance. But nobody knew how all this was working and why they were able to escape. Because they didn't even know where the French army was. They just got word you need to evacuate back to Munich or whatever it was. And it was one of the most compelling things I've ever done done and it was a tool but it was also a game and to sit with my partner Chris Carnes and he and I co-ran that thing and run ideas back and forth I can't recommend a game better than this one for but you you got to have a people and you got to have somebody who knows how to run it and probably the game we
2: seem to have agreement in the house this is this is astonishing. Um, we perhaps have a winner. I, I hate to hedge our bets, but nicely done, Conrad. Thank you very much. We will now hand over to the master of adventures in history land, the great owner of a ponytail. Um, and what a ponytail. And, and what a ponytail indeed. Bullocks, what are you, uh, what are you championing tonight?
3: Well, Lash, um, uh, today I'm 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 going with one that is it's the popular choice. We'll call it uh, of the moment because it's a computer game. I'm talking about Napoleon Total War, which is a turn-based real-time strategy game that is available on PC, and it allows you to within the rules, the confines of its own rules and its own universe that is created to take command of um, large to moderately sized armies and try and conquer Europe with them. there is a campaign mode and there is multiplayer mode, there are single battle modes, you can also do sea battles on it. And so it's a very versatile computer game that has been based, and I must stress this based on uh, a historical, um, a historical idea, a historical period. It's not 100% accurate, and it is, does not give the depth of either Ed's Waterloo or Conrad's Kriegspiel. It is purely, it is, it is pure historical entertainment rather than any other kind of, um, it's not meant for the General Staff College, it's, um, and it's, and it's more visual than um board games so i played total war games for a very long time first of all just because i wanted to you know i wanted to play historical video games because i was a geek and you know uh and then as you as i started getting more serious about history i started to sort of look at them and see what they were actually teaching people they don't uh, and, and while they don't give you, I mean, it, it's so annoying that the flaws in it for someone who knows about them, but uh, they, they could have done a um, really impressive game. But even with its flaws, there are certain things that the game can teach you about how to command an army um, in battle, it should be said about, about how to win a victory with um. Like, sort of like with, uh, with short range weapons, uh, and uh, the only f- and the fastest thing on the field is a horse. I think that the game is a great introduction to a lot of people who don't who, who may not get on board with board games at this point. I think that a lot of people will start playing this game and will get hooked on it but because there, are, there is not a vast market for Napoleonic video games or anything like that, they will inevitably go and look at other ways to war game. And I think that's a bonus because that means by, you, you know, you're reading the rules, you're playing these games, you are learning as well as you're having fun. And that'll get people into the Napoleonic Wars and military history like this. Why is it the best Napoleonic game? Well, because at the second it is it has the benefit of being a single package as much as I love painting toy soldiers and collecting them and things like that it takes a long time you need another person immediately with you to 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 play the game you need to have someone has to know the rules um and um So it's an investment. A lot of younger people can't do it or need to know someone older to help them and stuff like that. So I think that it has that bonus that is a complete sort of strategy playing package. Uh, The second thing is that although it is not a battle simulator, um and nor is it a, nor is it a, is it a strategic simulator um it misses out, it cuts out a lot of stuff about logistics and all sorts of stuff like that it simplifies things right down um it does like i say teach you especially if you do the multiplayer games which is what i mostly do now um certain um principles now, a lot of people will tell you that you can't play this game if you you can't win at this game against other people if you if you play by the rules of 18th and 19th century warfare that's false i only basically use those rules to play the game and i do okay um ryan
4: reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, to get 30, get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
0: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods
3: It's not that games have to teach you anything but if it's based on history you do want to think you, you, you do want to engage a part of your brain that think that sort of helps you along with understanding how things work and Napoleon Total war does do that because if you want to if you want to give yourself the best chances and in war uh, a real war um, everybody is basically only trying to give themselves the best chances um, you have to play by certain rules and principles. And in Napoleon Total War, if you apply those rules and principles, then you can do quite well. That's what I found while playing it. And it is a very enjoyable game. It's great to have that sort of immediacy, the sort of, um, it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's sort of the, the trope of the 21st century, there's sort of immediate gratification. But yes, you do have thousands of men at your command, all dressed basically how they should be dressed, in a, in a lovely visual terrain, um, and you don't know what. And in the multiplayer, and to, to an extent in the AI, you don't know what the enemy is doing. You do have to take advantage of your opportunities. You do have to to win a battle. And like I say, th- there are no th- there there are some Napoleonic strategy games on 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 for video as, as video games, but there this is the best one, and and for that reason, I think it deserves a, a fairly high place, even if it's not like traditional wargaming, that it deserves a place somewhere in this.
2: Well said, Josh. Um, full disclosure, I put Josh up to this, um, and, and I basically kind of leaned on him and said, you will do Napoleon Total War, won't you? Not least because as folks will hopefully have noticed from the announcement at the end of the last episode there is a mini series going out on the napoleon assist youtube channel where we have tried to bring you uh, an indication of how the game works how it plays the flaws within it and it has to be said and i apologize for this that there are issues with the video feed of the gameplay itself it's ultra laggy and it jumps and judders uh, the whole way through there's nothing that we can do about that because we've spent four hours worth of recording time to get to that point alone um so with the best of in the world we are not doing that again um but yes it's it's a fun it, it depends on what your definition of a game is right and for a lot of people a game exists to be fun and more than anything else Absolutely, it ticks that box. Yes, as a historian, I sit here and I go, hmm, French overpowered. And this is the sort of thing that we've discussed within the, this mini series the, the ratios of strength between units, um, the, the, the little things that just don't quite play out in the way that they should if it was authentic. The one thing I'm going to throw into this, though, and this is more a point rather than a question, is the thing of mods. Now, for folks who aren't familiar with um, computer gaming terminology, a mod is something, if you'd like, a bit like a plugin that you can buy. It's a piece of programming that interacts with the game itself and alters the way in which the game plays and looks and so on in order to make it different in some way. And this is something that is perfectly legal. Um, What you find is that after a certain point in time, the companies release the um coding behind the game and that allows people to sort of build upon it and with that comes arguably a greater element of realism and there is a lot of love for some of the mods out there so if i'm going to turn this ramble into some kind of a question for josh do you think the mods add anything is there any kind of recommendation you would make on that kind of score Or is it better to just go with the base game itself and accept the fact that this thing is there purely to entertain and the educational element is sort of tangential to all of that? And if people go and pick up a book off the back of it, that's a bonus. But there lies the the, the point. It's a bonus. It's not the raison d'etre.
3: As far as I've seen with Total War Mods, and I am generally one of those guys who just buys the vanilla game and then sticks with it. Um, so I'm, I'm lazy. Um, they, <laughs> the, um, what they tend to do is they do the... Um, is that they make the game look more accurate. So I was saying before, uh, the Napoleon Total War in itself um, is, a, is a kind of a pastiche of, of a Napoleonic army um they they all correspond to roughly the period 1812 to 1815 there's no earlier uniforms than that everybody's kind of dressed the same um some of the uniforms were a little odd looking what the what the mods tend to do in all in all uh, total war games is they tend to get a lot of people in who take much more time giving The uniforms, the right look, and giving individual red, doing individual regiments, facing colours, and all that—all those really kind of tiny little things that you can do with actual miniature wargaming. I don't know exactly what they do in terms of gameplay. I'm not sure they can do all that much with gameplay to improve it. Um, But uh, and it's interesting what you talk, what you just sort of uh, alluded to there about, you know what. What, what could be done. A great deal could be done. You know, every, every now and again, I, I get to thinking I'm talking to somebody and, and I start to just sort of ream off all these things that I would put into a game, into the, into just, into the Napoleonic, into the Napoleon Total War game itself. If you use that as a model, you could expand to something really quite challenging and really quite accurate. I mean, I'm gonna throw this out right now. The way the orders happen, I mean, first of all, restrict the camera, for heaven's sake. Don't let people just sort of swoop over and look at stuff. I mean, the bird's eye view is necessary because you are commanding like 20 units and you need to be able to move everywhere. But the way orders are done, you could, upon giving a a command through your mouse, have little riders break off from your commander's um, bodyguard. And they could ride to the unit you have selected to advance or do something. And therefore you get the delay of time. That's not a thing that happens in this game. It's very much an instantaneous, you give them the order, you do it. You're omnipotent, you are the you are a god on the field, basically. Um, and there's, there's lots of little things that they could tweak and fix, like we talk about in the miniseries as well. There's this weird thing where certain rifle regiments are able to take out stakes and hammer them into the ground for some reason as if they're <laughs> archers at Um, I don't know what who thought that up, um, but, <laughs> and it has its problems, but I mean, I would. I, I mean, if I had the funding and I, if I had backers and stuff, I would, I would, I would history the the hell out of that game, um, because it has great potential to be something quite extraordinary. I think actually.
2: Let me then throw it wide open to the floor.
1: Again, I'm quite impressed. I really enjoyed that uh, explanation. I've played a little bit of the game myself, and I just have some. He described the limitations so well that there's no sense going into it, but he did say something interesting. He said about 18th, 19th century rules and methods that you stuck to. Could you expand or offer specifics on that? Yeah, sure. Um,
3: So I have, because I have no great insight into how to play games or command armies i i basically had when i when i took when i started playing multiplayer games against other people you know people who are thinking not the ai who's just going to charge at you i had to fig- i had to try and increase my chances the only way i knew how to increase my chances was to act as i had read and so that means i would generally um divide my army into two divisions and a reserve Inside those divisions, they're supposed. I balance them with light troop, uh, at least one light troop, light light regiment, at least three line regiments supporting artillery, and the the, and two to three regiments of cavalry if I have the if I've been able to purchase enough of them. Um, The best units I keep in the reserve, usually with the heaviest artillery. And then, it's, and then I sort of put them side by side in the reserve behind and I do them in a disconnected sense. I don't need them to all be connected in a line. I know how fast they can move and I know how fast the enemy can move and therefore they can all support each other within a bas- basic distance and cover an awful lot of ground. Um, so that's how I set them up according to basic kind of ish rules in my head of how I've seen historical battles and armies tactically work and then what i i I say to zach in the mini series is that then i reposition them again as soon as the battle starts you must assume that the enemy will act in a way that forces you to move your troops around and to react to them or get them to react to you if they don't do anything then you go then you look at the ground you see where can i place my artillery that will force him to move Um, and you move for that you move in such a way that you keep safe. The cavalry moves. Ca- cavalry moves to support the infantry. The light troops go forward first. They see. They'll. They'll come in, if they come in contact with something. You stop. You. You. You probe that. Does it? Does. It, does it? Um. Is it hard or will it bend? If it's hard, you obviously try and find flanks. You. You try and move it, or you try and move around it. These general principles that I try to apply when I play the game, sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. Generally speaking, it's it's interesting that I've had some fun battles where they've actually paid off. And um, for me, they enhance the game because it allows me to kind of do these these little things, these little principles of, uh, especially like concentration of troops when you know what the enemy is doing. It's a great feeling in the game when you know what the enemy is doing and you know how to beat them, because they because they don't know what you're doing.
1: <laughs> beautifully, beautifully described. Uh, you said that others sometimes don't use those tactics. Yes, there
3: is a there is a there is a total war strategy um, that is born from the the close combat total wars um, where you buy. Smaller armies of very capable troops, a lot of cavalry, light on on the artillery, and you will try and pin the enemy as quickly as possible and hit them. It's like there is almost no rules. You basically have to because I don't play them, I don't understand them very well. But it's it's a lot of like stuff that just would not work in real life. So you take a whole bunch of cavalry, right? You you leave your artillery firing at them somewhere. You leave someone to guard it. Kind of kind of move your infantry forward, but you take a big ball of cavalry, and you just run it around the field. And because the game is the way it is, a lot of people will will win with these tactics because people don't know that that is just a recipe for disaster. I can kill all of those cavalry anytime I want. That's what I want you to do. Please do please attack me with all of your cavalry first because I will use all of my forces to destroy you. But a lot of people panic. They chase the cavalry. They get beaten up as a result. Uh, They lose all of their own cavalry because they don't have as many cavalry. Um, And um, yeah, it's like, There are ways to play the game that can achieve victory in an unprincipled manner. And which is why I like playing with people like Zach and some of our friends, because we all kind of know (laughs) the the rules. There are some very good sort of uh, competitive players who know how to play the game to win as quickly as possible. But um, I'm not one of those
1: people. That there was there was again a, a really great explanation. That's one of my criteria actually when judging a game. Does the rule set stop that kind of nonsense in some kind of way? Because I call it nonsense because yeah. I I want to learn something. I want to play somebody like you in a historical game using historical tactics and see what happens. I don't get I don't get a flyby in Napoleonic warfare. I don't get to okay. do and it's just those kind of things drive me crazy. I played a lot of conventions with guys who have less knowledge about what was going on. And fortunately, most of the rule set we played over time end up being inherently dangerous for them. But I found it irritating that they had this one guy insisted on, but we did a lot of medieval stuff, which is basically chaos right Mm. so knowing medieval warfare is chaos and half the stuff launches without even an order he would buy a ton of poor quality stuff i mean a ton and have this cloud of guys going and you would go what are you doing and so you spend three hours sorting it out and beating him but in the end I didn't learn anything, and he didn't learn anything. He says, "No, I should have just bought more bad troops." Yeah. The armies, no, no. So I, I admire how you're trying to bring a level of, uh, of historical understanding to the game. So good for you. Well, thanks, Ed. That, that's that's really nice for you to say.
3: And I think that one of the strengths of the game is that you can kind of make it what you want it to within the multiplayer aspect, anyway
2: yeah I mean, I hear a lot of what you say. I'm surprised what you say about the lack of artillery um there because my my thing is strong artillery and then all elite as far as possible, and then, particularly against the artificial intelligence, which is always my bug there with these games, the artificial intelligence is not intelligent. it is a misnomer. Mm-hmm. It is as dumb as you could possibly imagine, um, and they just love a frontal assault, and it's it's easy. But it's quite irritating. Mm-hmm. Conrad has been sitting very patiently, waiting to, to jump in on this. Conrad, your thoughts on Napoleon: Total
4: War? Um, I think of the of the, certainly of the Napoleonic um, computer games that I've played. Um, and uh, Josh is absolutely one hundred percent on the money in terms of spectacle. I don't think it's been better. I mean, if you, if you want something to look, to look like a a Verne painting, you're 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 going to uh, your your the, the Napoleonic um total war is the way to go. Um and I think Josh is right. Like you can like any war game, it can be informed by the principles of war, you know, economy of force, maintenance of aim, um you know th- th- that that those kind of sort of conceptual tools. Um obviously people who are, you know, th- they're the the um, the two terms I have found uh, I think these came out of a a, a UK uh, UK um, war gaming outfit called Wargames Developments who've done some some very interesting stuff but they they talk about the difference between the competitive gamer and the culture gamer and the competitive gamer is someone who is presented you know the competitive gamer is the guy you want fighting your wars because he simply looks at the toolbox that he has available to him and he goes how do i within the 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 constraints that are put upon me win by whatever means necessary and what josh is saying like if you're playing a pickup battle in 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 Napoleonic Total War you know you're not thinking of how do I feed these guys or how do I pay them or can I maintain that many horses in the field which is incredibly expensive you know uh, and I only need to win this battle not think of the battle maybe three weeks down the line I may not have to hold very much ground so I, I don't have to invest in line infantry who are unglamorous but necessary um and they're also operating in an operational um, in an operational context where they have god's eye view that you you're effectively up in an imaginary helicopter, and you know the kind of cavalry tactics that Josh is describing, where cavalry are running around, you know that only works really if your cavalry are effectively controlled by magic walkie-talkies because you can communicate with them immediately and you can sort of, sort of if you're looking at the battlefield and you can spot an opening you know one division over uh, the regimental commander who's in charge of your of your cavalry isn't going to know about that because he wouldn't be able to see it because Jap sat you know eight feet off the ground let's say but you know you are hundreds of imaginary feet up in the air so you can see that and then exploit it and um, so obviously that does not, um, you know, does not reflect the actual experience of battle. It also doesn't uh, generate gun smoke in anywhere near the quantities that black powder battle. And I, I, I this, this is a, I actually ran a game, which uh, using one seventy second scale figures, where we used gun smoke at not at the level that it was actually produced, and the commanders were seated. I think it was. Eighteen feet away from the board, and could tell where battle was breaking out by the gun smoke sort of break, breaking up. But you know, so that is a limitation. But what the overriding virtue of uh, Napoleonic total war that beats my choice of Creek's bill that cheats beats Ed's choice of Waterloo eighteen fifteen into a cocked hat is accessibility. You can take. Napoleonic Total War and be playing it almost certainly not well within half an hour of clicking on the icon you will be doing something you will be engaging with material in some way and that is the abiding virtue of computer games because you don't have setup you're not relying on other people there is there is that accessibility there so that you can jump into the action incredibly quickly. And if you want to interest people in the period, and this is an avenue that you're, you're exploring, there's a, there's a tremendous virtue to that. Is it a, according to Hoyle or, you know, a particularly accurate rendition of Napoleonic warfare, you know, up to a point, Lord Copper, um, up to a point. And within the limitations of the model, I think it does a, a superlative job. I, I certainly haven't seen, you know, I, I live um, you know, in the hope that someone will do will do something better in the future. But uh, for now, yeah. I I think in terms of computer games, you'd you'd be very hard put to, to find something better than Napoleonic Total War. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I think so. That's fair. And um we haven't talked about the this like the campaign maps in Napoleon Total mm-hmm. War where that's the only part where you get to care about, sort of the movement of places, and you you, you because of the way it's run, you care about the resources of the faction of the nation, not the army, which is mm-hmm. is not the same. And so that's why I kind of I've I, that's why I, I kind of tend to talk mostly about the multiplayer aspect of it, yeah. because that's its strongest, the 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 sort of the The um, campaigns of the of the of the game are very much much more much more sort of just for entertainment, really, uh, to get the armies to fight each other, to be honest, is how is how that works. But um, yes, that's why that's why that's why I was happy to accept uh, Zach's um, idea to to pitch what is most certainly not the like the most accurate. Uh, of the game, uh, of of, of Napoleonic war games, but is like the most accessible.
2: But that is, after all, the point of these greatest discussions that, you know, you choose your own parameters. And the one thing I would say about the campaign is there is a very obvious and very simple strategy to make the campaign work to your advantage, which is find the weakest provinces of your enemy, uh, go in with your large armies, take those you then suffocate the enemy of resources and job is good and their army collapses sort of thing um which once you come to that realization it does make for a slightly repetitive um sort of style of gameplay but we shall move on thank you for that oh ed yep by all means just
1: one i i'm hearing a give and take the accessibility but you really don't know who these people are, right? That you you're playing against and you don't interact with them. And you don't facially see their, mm. their conundrums and their reactions. And so one of the bonuses of miniature gaming or the mm. board gaming is that the immediacy of playing with it, the social aspect of playing with another person in the room, whether it's a, a big room, when you've got six people on a side or whatever, I, I, I kind of like that. I'm willing to yeah. pay something to get that mm-hmm. in the room, even when it's uh, it's harder to arrange. And I'm finding that as my friends have gotten older and we spread all over, it's, boy, is it hard to get, mm. like, this thing that Mike has tried to paint for 40 years. We're figuring we need four or five commanders on a side. I have find 10 people are willing to commit over multiple days who have the same obvious
3: desire. It's a very good point. The social aspect is something that you really have to bring to Napoleon Total War. I, pl- I play with Zach and uh, my friend Jimmy Chen and a lot bunch of other people from history, Twitter, so to speak, mm. um, quite regularly, you know, semi-regularly whenever we can. And so you, d- you get that sometimes. But if you're just on your own, then you kind of just playing strangers. Sure, sometimes you'll make friends through this because you'll recognise people who come up every now and again. But it is—it's it's, um, yeah—it it, misses—it misses a social aspect for certain.
2: Once again, this has been oddly harmonious. I'm not yeah. seeing the sort of from the anarchy that we began with. I didn't expect this to go quite so smoothly. Ah, uh, Conrad wants to come in and reinstate the anarchy.
4: Yes. Um, firstly, I'd, I'd just like to say that uh, Ms. Jameson, that 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 language is uncalled for. I resent the implication and um, I would like you to withdraw that comment immediately. Uh, neither I nor my cat um, are are, are uh, that that comment does not represent us in any way. Those those things were perfectly legal in the countries in which they were filled. Um And uh, I'll 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 thank you to keep a civil tongue in your head, young lady. Such such
3: scurrilous, such scurrilous <laughs> libel, Miss Jameson.
4: I need oh, to poor Ed is speechless. I mean, I is, I, 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 I think has that I'm, offended, I'm
1: so offended I can't find the words to express my emotional mood now.
2: <laughs> this is the sort of thing which if there was some kind of um organization that oversaw podcasts would probably get the Napoleonicist taken off of the air. Allow <laughs> <laughs> me to just explain why we are mercilessly trolling Kate. Such is the complexities of recording podcasts. Kate, unfortunately, wasn't able to join us in the room this evening. And so what you hear from Kate is retro edited in. Um, and we did have a discussion about whether or not we were going to mercilessly troll Kate um, in her absence, um, which we had avoided until <laughs> about three minutes ago. Um, so, I'm Kate, gonna... if you're listening to this, kind of sorry?
5: <laughs>
3: I'll tell you what. Not that it, much. Because, because it's me, and I don't want to make people feel bad, I'm going to do my usual supportive one as well, which is... Oh. That's a really great point, Kate. I, I understand exactly where you're coming from. And... Um, you know, there should be more Naval Wargaming stuff going on. <laughs> her apology
1: was accepted. All right, her apology was accepted.
2: <laughs> See, Kate's going li- to listen back to this and be completely baffled, because just to stitch you guys up, I'm not going to move this segment. I'm going to leave it exactly <laughs> where it is in the chronology. So that Kate's <laughs> section is coming up next. Um, so... None did, of what you I think she did. 10%. I mean, I,
3: I was just so impressed by her pitch, weren't
4: you? I mean,
3: it was. Uh...
4: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It, it, it was. Uh, I mean, it moved me uh, emotionally. Uh, so Basically. financially, uh, <laughs> I feel I've grown as a person. <laughs> you know, Apart I'm, a better, man, I'm a better man. I'm a better man from hearing uh, from hearing Miss uh points there.
2: Bravo, Kate. Bravo. So through the magic of editing trickery, I'm delighted to say that Kate now joins us. Um, Kate, you were just trolled mercilessly a few podcasting seconds ago, albeit a few days ago. Um, is there anything you'd like to say in response to Conrad and Josh? Josh admittedly has tried to dig himself out of a hole. Um, <laughs> Conrad doesn't seem to give much for stuff. Anything you'd, you'd like to say in response to them?
5: I think I'll just uh, I'll just quote Nelson and uh, leave them to stew by saying that I'll put my ship alongside that of the enemy.
2: <laughs> Nicely done. Dignified, dignified response there Always
5: from Kate. <laughs> um,
2: Just with a sort of slight passive-aggressive hint of I'm gonna fire a broadside into you, and there's nothing you can do about it. Um, <laughs> Kate, you have a reputation for being, you know, the the god of Twitter stuff when it comes to Nelson's Navy. Are you going to suddenly surprise us and say that the greatest war game isn't to do with the Navy during this period?
5: Uh, no, <laughs> I'm very much very much here to advocate for for the 18th century as ever. Go for it. Go for it. So I'm going to say that Black Seas is the is the best war game, I guess. Mainly because it's pretty much the only one I've played but um, obviously it's uh, all based around naval history. I think it's mostly based on a game called Cruel Seas, which is slightly more modern but they've changed quite a lot of the rules around. Um, you get these cool little ships. You can go from brigs to first rates. So I've got HMS Victory on my desk here. I've got Royal Sovereign, um, Lorient. So you can, you can play as the British Navy, the French and Spanish. I think there are some new rules coming in soon with some other, other nationalities, which will be fun um, and add a few, I guess, twists in, into the mix. I think the thing I like about it is that you have to kind of use naval strategy in a sense. So um, your wind direction can shift So you can have your ships that have got the weather gauge so the wind advantage um and you kind of have to think about how the ships are turning how the ships are firing you've got your sort of compass rows and a wind compass to to help you with that um you get i'm not i mean i'm holding it up here you can't see it but you get a, a little marker so you can have full sails light sails or battle sails which is really cool uh and obviously it kind of adjusts for the size of the ship that you are playing as well. So you've got different rules, you've got wind rules. You uh, There's another master and commander side, obviously. Uh, I have that as well, <laughs> which you kind of um, play by, where well, it's along the same lines, but you've got different ships. So you've got your frigates uh, and things like that. So you can move a little bit faster, which I think is, is always pretty cool. Um, the game comes with like a, a, a sea mat, like a battle mat um and obviously you've got card scenery and beaches and forts you can actually buy quite a lot of um little 1 700 scale forts and paint them yourselves if you want to um i've seen people doing towers and all all sorts of things actually um which is really cool and i've seen people kind of crossing them over with some other games but on a slightly smaller scale um so yeah obviously you're you're playing as these ships and you have to include gunnery. I'm gonna go on a little bit here because you know how I love uh, love my gunnery. Um, and you are looking at mortars, you're looking at cannons, you've got them off the bow, you've got them off the stern, you've got your arcs, you have to kind of keep track of uh, how your ships are firing and whether they're in range. Um, and you've got different rules. So there's a there's a rule, for example, crossing the T, uh, which many people who know anything about Nelson will have heard of. You've got your broadsides um, and the ships come with little I don't know what you'd call it, I guess, it's kind of like cotton wool, maybe it is cotton wool, but it's kind of slightly hardier cotton wool. So you can show the smoke and the fire, which is, is pretty cool. Um, and you get your damage obviously based on the size of your cannons. So you've got your your heavy cannons, which obviously do more damage than the uh, the smaller guns. You've got carronades, you've got your mortars, um, and you get these cool little counters. I mean, <laughs> here I am saying it's cool. Most people would think I'm a massive nerd, but I love it. Um, your quarter has been hit for example or your crew have been hit uh you can have a fire on board which obviously is devastating because you don't want your magazine to go up um you can control the the angle of fire as well so you can aim high to target the masts and the sails of the ship which is pretty cool um and you can you know there's the masts have been hit the sails have been hit you've got your gun deck and your steering being probably um, being hit etc and then on top of that you also get to add the different types of ammunition so you can have grape shot, you've got chain shot, um, you can double shot uh, and you can do oh, what's it called red hot I think which is obviously your slightly fiery fiery shot which is really cool you've got rules for for firing on forts for the weather um, yeah I absolutely love it and obviously you can go from like I said brigs all the way up to first rates really um I think the new rules which obviously introducing different scenarios um I actually helped work on some of the naval history in that book in the new rule book which is pretty cool um it was a fun thing to do but I think they're bringing in bomb vessels maybe um I might have made that up I don't think I made that up But yeah, it's really, really, really good fun. You've got, you know, it's just, yeah, I just really enjoy it. You've got frigates firing broadsides and uh, like I said, all the gunnery and whatnot, but you can have, I mean, you don't have to have an entire fleet. So when I started, I was gonna basically have enough ships to map out the Nile. And then I realized how much rigging of the models that that would involve. And they are very small and very fiddly, um, but they do look really, really cool when they're painted. Um, And you can have, you know, rigs fighting a first rate if you wanted to um you don't actually need that many ships to play uh yeah I love it I think it's great I definitely think it's up there for for some of the best games I guess and also it's my first one that I've played and I think it sounds cool the rules are cool um the history behind it's really cool the the book which I don't have with me here covers Trafalgar, Nelson, other officers you've got the whole concept of blockades and ev- it's just great, I love it, I think it's brilliant um, and that is why obviously I am pushing it as the best game. <laughs> also I'm new and everyone that has played it has been really really lovely to me and helped me, um, so I think the community around Black Seas is, is great as well.
2: Yeah the community thing it is a really important aspect of Wargaming, it's mm-hmm. been striking the more I've spoken to people about it, um, the more that that's kind of come out, it's it's not just about the game, it's about the people that make the game fun. But there are moments when I regret that this is a radio show and this was one of them because your face absolutely <laughs> lit up over the course of that, particularly when you said, I'm gonna nerd out about Gunnery and I don't even care. Um, yeah.
5: I can show you, no one else can see it, but look at this, how cool is this?
2: That's incredibly kind of complex and-
5: is. and you've got your little, this is your, your angles of fire, et cetera. It's very cool, it's, very clever.
2: It strikes me that this is surprisingly sophisticated um, for a game that you're sort of, you're, tr- you're pushing little boats around a, a mat, and yet they've thought about all the angles to take a an almost 2D thing and, and make it properly three-dimensional in terms of the way that you play it, rather than just...
5: You yeah, know, the physical I mean,
2: locations and stuff.
5: I mean, in October last year, they had a up at Warlord headquarters. I think it was. That's what I'm calling it. I don't know what their actual <laughs> building is called, but Warlord HQ. They actually mapped out Trafalgar uh, with ships, and that it just looked really cool. I wish I could have gone. Um, but yeah, maybe maybe next year they'll do it again, and then I could take some of mine and be like, hey, look, I painted some. <laughs> I'm so proud of myself.
2: Can I just touch on the complexity element because you you talked about it in your pitch there. That these are they're tiny wee things, these boats. Uh, it's just, again, pity it's a radio show. Kate's holding one up to the camera. It, you've done an incredibly good job. I'm quite jealous of your ability to paint in straight lines because I paint 1 to 72 scale aircraft and I can't paint a straight line for Toffee <laughs> and I get abuse from my other half about my inability to paint a straight line. Uh, quite rightly so, i have to say. Um, but with yours, you've got rigging involved as well. Yeah, um,
5: um, it's incredibly detailed. It's actually—I mean, it's fairly accurate. Um, obviously, you can't have all of the rigging. I've seen some people that have put full working rigging, running rigging, everything, and I do not have the patience or <laughs> the all the all the tweezers that are small enough, I think, to to be able to do that. But you've got you've got rat lines. I've seen people. Um, so the ones that come with it are on a kind of plastic sheet and you cut them out. You can actually make your own using the thread. You can buy a little tool to make your own proper threaded wrap lines if you want, if you want to. And they, they look incredible.
2: How long does it take to put these together? I mean, you say, do you get people who just kind of turn up and they've they've stuck the masts in and they can't be bothered to paint it? and They just sort of slap it on the table and go, there you go. It's it's British, and that's as far as they've got with it. Is that allowed, or do you have to kind of show the due diligence and prep them at least halfway properly?
5: Yeah, I mean, I've seen some people that have actually painted or painted them, completed them as wrecks, which is is really clever, or with battle damage, um, which is is really cool. I haven't quite got to that level where I can make my battle damage look good. It just looks like a mess. Um, but yeah, um, you, obviously you've got your colour schemes, etc, but you, you've got pennants and they come with so many different flags, again, I'm showing you, but so many different flags and signal flags. And so you can basically create them and make them look almost how you want. They're, you get a set of maybe, I think, three figureheads per ship. So you can pick which figurehead you want. You can pick which stone cabin you want um and you can pick the kind of sales you want so slightly more weathered sales or or not it's really cool I love it I think it's great
2: can I also touch on something else that you mentioned there which you said you were involved in the making of the current rule sets, which is oh sorry the new rule sets that are coming (laughs) out which sounds incredibly cool just go nuts and tell us what happened there and and, you know big yourself up in the process tell us about your role within that it sounds really interesting
5: yeah, so I can't tell anyone what, uh, what I wrote in there yet because it hasn't come out yet, so it's all top secret, uh, but I got to write some naval history about the 18th century. It was something, partly stuff that I'm interested in, partly slightly moving away, but obviously in the same sphere, so it was actually, it was pretty interesting stuff to to work on. Um, and like I said, there's a few different nationalities coming in, a few different rules. Um yeah, I just I think it's gonna be really cool. It's a really good game. And like I said, the the whole community um on Facebook, if you want some little hints about what's coming out, they're actually putting spoilers in the in the group at the moment on Facebook so you can get an idea of what kind of ships are coming out soon. Um yeah, I, I just I, I love it. I think it's great, everyone's really friendly. The chap from Warlord who asked me to get involved is brilliant and is probably one of the friendliest people I've spoken to um and everyone's just been really supportive I kind of had this thought that everyone would be like oh look at this girl trying to <laughs> paint her little ships um and some people have done that but not in that group everyone's been is been pretty friendly and, and nice actually.
2: I just made a few rude dressers at the camera at the suggestion that some people are turning around to you and saying, <laughs> oh, we don't want girls coming in. I mean, what is this? Primary school? Uh, girls coming in and playing a boys game. They'll bring their girl jam. get a if grip. Was, uh,
5: I'll make my naval history CV into a paper cannonball and throw at their faces and then they'll be all right.
2: <laughs> this sounds like a plan. Kate, thank you for that. That was really impassioned. So this is a, a genuine response this time, not a trolling response. Thank you for that, Kate. Apologies for the reprobates that I brought onto this show uh, this afternoon who trolled you prior to your pitch. Um, we're now going to go. Mob the film.
3: mentality.
2: I'm, I'm just going to blame Conrad. Uh, it's, it's all Conrad's fault. He's the ringleader. Um, yeah, they got to wash my hands. L- a bit.
4: Blame litter box. I L- mean, blame, blaming me is essentially a victimless crime. <laughs>
2: What am I meant to do as a podcast host and editor? Exercise editorial control, please. Have you heard previous episodes of this podcast? That never happens. It's
3: called Farming for Content.
2: Yes. Well, we've seen quite enough of that on Twitter in recent days, haven't we? Um, Oh, good Lord. (laughs) Let let us move genuinely, swiftly on. Um, We're going to go around the room and do honourable mentions, or rather other recommendations, I think, in this case, rather than making a case for another one. If you've got somebody out there who, you know, perhaps isn't that familiar, which is kind of the point of this month, Wargaming month, to introduce people to a genre that perhaps they're not too familiar with, or for people like me who are sort of stuck in a little bit of a rut of Napoleon Total War to encourage them to branch out into other genres and other types of games. What would you recommend for people in terms of, you know, different stages in their interests? So perhaps it's for that person who's been doing this for years and actually wants to experience something new, what would you recommend to them or alternatively if they're a newbie to this what would you suggest to them i'm going to make a recommendation which isn't actually a game mode per se but it taps into the miniatures world and it's a series of models by a company that i'm probably going to ruin the pronunciation here but are called italary or italary
0: um, italieri
2: italieri thank you there yep. you go we've got a profession in the room um, they focus on well the thing about Italieri is that they actually produce some of the best model plane kits that are out there on the market. And I genuinely do say that somebody who does FX and, and Revel and Tomea, um, the the, the, the Itali the the Itali,
4: Italieri. Italian. Thank yeah. you. Their kits. What a mistake they're gonna make
2: their kits on another level in terms of just how well produced they are and they are absolutely worth the extra bit of money they also produce what a what they've kind of called a waterloo based series it's not just waterloo you've also got you know austrians and russians within the mix and you get lots of different units and yes okay there is this thing about they've only got a certain mold and you can only do so much with what you've got in front of you right so you buy a kit and if you decided that you wanted a whole regiment of Highlanders in terms of actual numbers, well, you're gonna find that, you know, half of that kit are, you know, people laying prone on the ground or, or whatever it might be. So yeah, sure, you know, if you're, tr- depends what you're going for, but there are certainly limitations, but in terms of quality and in terms of just the fun, if you don't wanna actually play with these, if you would rather just have the model soldier as a model soldier, which is a thing in its own right, um, and just enjoy that as an entity, the kits are great and there's lots of variety in there you can get artillery pieces lots of different cavalry regiments infantry regiments different nations and you can be as specific or otherwise as you want to in terms of how you fine-tune the painting so you have the ability therefore to actually paint some of these regiments up in different colours and with different facings and so on in order to create a whole variety of regiments within an army and if that's your thing that's a huge amount of fun the other what thing. Scale, is they,
1: what scale are they? Uh,
2: so these are one to seventy. I want to say they're one to seventy-two. One seventy-two. Yeah. 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 Um, thank you for confirming. Um, and and the point is because they're one to seventy-two, I think they're ish the right, not quite, but they're ish the right size that you could feasibly use them in some games at the the
4: the, the risk of being slightly topical. Uh, there is a absolutely superb Ukrainian company called Strelitz, which mm-hmm. do a fantastic uh, line of Napoleonic stuff in 172nd. Um, and they also sort of aim at the Wargamer market because they have, uh, they have guys in marching. You, you'll get a whole box of guys marching. Uh, so if you're actually trying to put together a unit, um, they're, 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 quite, uh, they're quite good at, at, at that.
2: Let us go to Josh now in terms of recommendations.
3: Well, as we said, I mean, Napoleon Total War is pretty good entry-level stuff, to be honest. Um, But uh, if we're talking about games that get you interested in history, I certainly loved playing historically-based video games when I was a kid. And these were games like some of the ones that um, the, uh, uh, that Slytherin used to do, like Spartan, um, which, which was like, it's like sort of the Empire city building kind of ones. They had a pretty limited battle engine, um, but it was really quite immersive. And let me see, there was actually a literally, literally there was a Waterloo game um, that was done. And I don't remember who did it, but it was quite a lot of fun. And it was quite detailed in terms of like um, the, the, at least, I mean, it was stylized, but it was quite detailed in the map and the commanders and generals and regiments and everything like that. They'd put a lot of work into it. That was quite a lot of fun. Unfortunately, I can't remember the details, but um, uh, that was quite a lot of fun as well. uh, I say, I think actually that what what is missing that I would so what I'm going to recommend is one that I was introduced to two weeks ago, which is about the I'm sorry the American Civil War, but I'm, I'm going to I'm going to tie this in, I'm tie, this in. I'm tie this in, tie well, dragging I us st-
2: into the center of I know, the 19th century. I know, I know. What do you well, think all, this is, man?
3: Well, there was a man that they called little the little Napoleon, and they all thought they were Napoleon. So. That's my excuse. Um, the the it's called uh, it's called Battle Cry Freedom. And it's a first person shooter style game, which is which is very very centred on multiplayer. However, with the codicil, that it has a mode in it where you command a a regiment up to a regiment of AI bots. And you can get them to advance and fire and load and move around and change formations and stuff like that. Now, that is the kind of game I would love to recommend for the Napoleonic Wars, but there is not one. So if you, I have to recommend games like that and um, what's the other one, War of Rights because those are very immersive games right if the first person shooter genre of video games and I'm the video game guy for this this episode apparently um, they can they get, they're very immersive they put you right into the zone you know that will get that that will that's going to sort of engender quite a lot of people to want to know more about the subject and, and uh, get into get into history and stuff. So I hope that in the future, a Napoleonic game like that comes out. At second, there isn't really one except one called. Um, no, I want to. What is it called? Nations at War or something like that. Or. But it's,
4: it's Na- nations at war. I think it's there's one called Battle Lines as well. I think could is, could, could be or maybe yeah. Nations at War, Battle Lines. Um, mm.
3: um, yeah that could be that could be it uh, but it's not it's not of the same kind of level as these American Civil War ones because the market for the American Civil War is much bigger. My point is that if you want to get into military history generally, play a game like that um, or one of the total war ones because they're really they're, they're, they own the market on it. Um, and I would love somebody to do... An 18th, an 18th century one would be amazing if they did the 18th century forget the Napoleonic Wars if they did the 18th century that would be amazing but um I would love for a game like that to come out where you're put in charge of like right into the battlefield where you can only see as far as a person could see and you know with the with, the, with those type of rules in a video game that would be a lot of fun
2: okay uh, moving on,
1: Ed, your recommendation? I'm going to go a little sideways here, but with this crowd, that's probably expected. Uh, I think it's less important the game you choose than the people you choose to play it with.
2: Ooh, nice the, comment.
1: I would love to play games with everybody in this room right now. I would be enthralled to come and make use of all those miniatures and play with you guys and because Same. of your knowledge and your background. Uh, I've experienced many of my friends who I try to bring into and they're willing to play something like Command and Colors which is a very popular game, but it's very, it's very simplistic. And they, they never read a book about Napoleon before they played the game. And they never read a book about Napoleonic tactics after they played the game. They just wanna set up some things roll some dice, and go home. I find that very frustrating. I, need, I was lucky back in the day to have Mike where we delved into the mechanics of trying to struggle through what was in a book, how much was in that book reflected our reality. It was obviously a long-term growth process, and then what game did we find that seemed to reflect that those those historical things that Josh talked about to get you historical results, we did that for quite quite a few years before Mike just decided he was going to be the best painter I've ever seen, and uh, I just went the other way. But I've only right now probably, and I would call like to call these people in the room here friends. Now, I only have a couple people who I would who want to delve into any era the same way. So I'm saying find people who have your interest and you can figure out whether they want to do this to the depth they want to do it. And then you can have a great talk about the game afterwards, while you're playing, what worked, what didn't work. Then you get that dynamic, that social interaction thing. Otherwise I could recommend a bunch of games. Mine would be tactical, but if you don't have that person and i'm not sure you're gonna get anywhere so find someone who you really want to game with who has the same level of interest that you have
2: that was very nicely said and conrad
4: your recommendations uh i I would have three um and the uh the, the first of which i would i would echo ed's point uh which is uh, and there's a line from Paddy Griffith's Napoleonic Wargaming for Fun, which is probably the best single volume on Napoleonic Wargaming I've, I've ever read. And it's available for the History of Wargaming um, blog. And I will be for, I will be forcing the pr, History of Wargaming project and I will be forcing a link on you uh, later. I, I will email it to you because you, you need to absolutely put it in fine. front of Splendid. Uh, but it is that... A war game is a social event, much like a dinner party, and that the host should tailor the bill of fare to to match the audience. And, you know, I'm blessed that I have a wide friend group, many of whom are willing to put up with my insane um, schemes. Like, uh, you know, some of whom are interested in World War II, some of whom are interested in the American Civil War, some of whom are interested in Napoleonics, uh, some of whom are interested in Warhammer or other aspects of thing, things like that. Uh, or, you know, my, my own personal wargaming white whale, which is the um, Austro, uh, the, the the Hungarian Revolution of 1848, but less of, uh, less of that, lest we get dragged into the, the mid 19th century. Um, so, firstly, yes, Taylor. The, the, there is no perfect game um but there are perfect games and that the game the perfect game is the game that a you actually get to play and not talk about and b that suits the group of people that you're attempting to engage with um and i i, I was delighted to hear ed bring up command and colors because that would the, the, I had two recommendations and that was one of them um the command and color series is a it's a boxed. Um, uh, board game it plays on a, on a small mat you can knock it up and knock it down in you can play a game in an hour maybe an hour and a half uh, the rules are quite simple um, there is a there's a, a world war ii version called memoir 44 which was written uh, to be playable by children uh, uh, of seven or above uh, it, it was written it was commissioned by the, the french army historical section the napoleonic version is a bit more involved than that but um, I have played that series of games with everyone. I've played them with non-gamers. I've played them with young offenders. I've played them with uh, you know adults, grown-ups, kids um, uh, of people of, of of all of of all stripes, and you know because the it's quite accessible in that you can you can open this box up and within um, within. Sort of twenty minutes of opening the box up, you can have something that looks almost, but not quite, exactly like the Battle of Wagram, and grapple with uh, with some of the tactical problems that you have. That, that you have, like the Battle of the Koa, for example, is 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 one um, is one scenario that's that's in the the basic box. Um, that the initial box covers uh, the Peninsula War. The box after that covers um, uh, the Russian campaign. Um, and then the, the box after does an Austrian box and a uh, a Prussian box and so on. Um, where I think the game really shines is in a variant called Epic, where you put two boards together and you play as a team with three generals on each side and one commander in chief. And that is we've done uh, we've done Baradino using that that format with eight with eight and eight total players, so four players aside. We've done um, uh, Rolica Rollic, uh, and Vimero. Uh, that, um, it just, it sinks. And Ed is absolutely right. It is, an, it is a very simplified game. But one of the things that I found interesting about it is that the um, armies do not hire lawyers uh, to fight their battles for them. And the simpler the rules, the easier they are to engage with. At which point you're then the, the you get to a stage of familiarity with the rule set, but the rule set falls away, and you're making decisions, and you're making tactical decisions based on the uh, resources that you have available and the information that you have to act on, and the resources that you have at your disposal. Uh, and the game sort of falls away, and you're focusing on those. Um, those, 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 uh, those principles of war that are the fundamental building blocks of 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 war fighting or battle fighting, whichever it is. Um, so that I would heartily recommend uh, Command and Colors, and I know Charles Esdale is a fan as well, actually, uh, or Professor Charles Esdale, I should say. Um, you just call uh, him Charlie. So, yeah, so, <laughs> uh, but the second, and I would say just and. I play Command & Colors as a toy soldier game. I have a a large mat. I replace all the blocks with toy soldiers and it really sings and I love it. Uh, I would, if you are a fan of of Sharp, there is a game called Sharp Practice, which is published by the same company that did the Greek spiel uh, to Fat Lardies. And it is very much and inspired by uh, what it is is it is a skirmish game based on replicating the kind of shenanigans you see in a sharp novel so you know you have uh, and I said the, the reason I suggest this is that to replicate even a small battle at the scale that I play it with with 172nd scale figures when I play a battle of command and colors the box game is you play with little wooden blocks. The way I play, it, when you replace the the, the the blocks with figures, you're talking about 500 figures on a on a board to play a game, and that is a substantial barrier to entry. Um, sharp practice, you can play a decent game with 50 to 60 figures, uh, so that you're 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 much quicker getting to opening the rule book and, and playing because you have to paint the figures and, and so on and so forth, but you don't have to paint that many figures. And it's a game of heroes and villains and daring do and damsels in distress and, you know, uh, villainous French spies and that sort of stuff. And it emulates the tropes of Napoleonic fiction in a way that I haven't seen anything else manage. So if you want a game that is, if you want a game in a box that you can play immediately, Command & Colors is, is great. I can't recommend it enough um and sharp practice if you want Uh, i adhere to something i call the pint principle in terms of war games which is despite being um you know a a limperistic frenchman who doesn't drink pints um which i i I say that i'm disgracing the name of irishman um you know I'm, i'm a wine and spirits boy only uh the i i don't play war games with someone i wouldn't have a pint with um, so that you have to have that, that certain level of social engagement and sharp practice is, is really wonderful of that. It creates wonderful stories and, and, and back and forth and, and that sort of thing. And it cr- has that, that sort of real narrative thrust, which is fantastic. Uh, and there's actually quite a lot of tactical nuance at the lower level of the scale as in, well, one of the things is that if your troops start firing, it's actually quite hard to get them to stop, for example. Uh, Which is which is which is something that if you if you look at the memoirs, you know, once uh, engagement becomes general, it's something that that officers really struggle with and sharp practice copes with that quite well. But I have been whispering for far too long. So uh, sorry, Zach, over to you. Um, And
2: without trolling her this time, we will now go to actually before we do hand over to Kate, I will just say the website that Conrad mentioned will be in the description to this episode. Um, have a little look in there. You'll find the link. And then finally, for our roundup of kind of suggestions or recommendations or or even just kind of honourable mentions for the future, Kate, what about you? Have you got any kind of tips for people who either want to get involved or any suggestions about other games or other ways that they can find their way into this?
5: I mean, for me, I got involved because so one of my friends paints, uh Star Wars Legion models, which is obviously completely different um and he was painting and it just looked really cool and I kind of got into I thought I'd try it so I just bought myself a set and some paints um during lockdown and just kind of got stuck in and I've improved since then thankfully the if you look at the first ship compared to the ship now uh there is a there is a markable difference um but yeah I mean I would just say get stuck in Warlord. or do some really good sort of what I call sort of smaller sets, I guess, like in- introductory kind of sets, the master and commander one's great. comes with a good mix of, of ships. Um, yeah, I think, I think it's great. I would just say get, get stuck in really. And if you're going to play black seas, then join the Facebook group because you can get ideas for your color schemes or, or anything really. Everyone's really helpful and friendly.
2: And that wraps up today's episode it's it's been a heck of a lot of fun thank you all for joining me um you will find these many of these folks on twitter i will put their twitter handles in the description as i said a few moments ago uh, conrad mentioned a website which you can use to try and find out a little bit more on in terms of how you can get into wargaming so do have a little look at that if you're interested in going further but josh conrad ed and kate thank you all so much for your time this evening
1: Thank you. Thank you.
2: Gracias. Hello again, folks. A big thank you as ever for listening. And just a quick reminder that you can support the show by hitting the like button, sharing, subscribing so that you can find your way back for more. And leave that review on Apple Podcasts if you can. You can find me on Twitter at ZWhiteHistory. Do get in touch with your thoughts and experiences. And as ever, a huge thank you to my Patreon supporters. This month is voted for by my patrons. It's one of the small things that I can do uh, as a very meagre way of trying to thank them for their um, input and, and support. Um, if you are interested in becoming a patreon supporter please check out the link in the description prices start from one pound a month i know it's a big step to uh, go that extra mile uh, and start supporting the show but if you are able to it means a huge amount Uh, there are different perks in each tier inevitably the more that you're willing to chip in the the more the perks the voting rights start at the commander um tier and the idea is that every few months there is a vote on what the next theme will be, and then I produce an intense month's worth of content where I more or less double the output of the show um, to to give you a really deep dive into that particular area. There are other perks and other tiers, including being able to request specific episodes on a topic that matters to you, and even one-to-one meetings with me. If all of that's not for you, and believe me, I completely understand that a regular subscription isn't people's thing, then there is another way. So you can leave one-off tips via Ko-fi, and the amount is completely up to you. Anything from, you know, 5p all the way up to, well, whatever you feel the the episode and the the series is worth. Um, I know it's a big ask, but bear in mind that it is through the the tips and the subscriptions that this show keeps going. Uh, There are obviously overheads for production. There are all kinds of things, you know, new equipment that's needed, Uh, and so on and so forth and if i'm going to diversify which is the aim and to bring you content particularly from battlefields i do need your support it's worth saying that you know all of this is done in effect for free Um, i'm very pleased about the fact that there is no paywall behind it so those of you who are able to dig into your pockets and show your appreciation in a financial manner it does mean a huge amount um, and it does mean that i can plan for what is what will hopefully in time be a very exciting future for the show a big thank you as ever to my patreon supporters my emperor level patrons mark stuce jc kaiser and todd and laird campbell my marshal patrons matt bone and marcus crib my commander patrons ger brown liam telfer jane davis bob burnham and michael guest my mentioned in dispatches plus patron noah think and my mentioned in dispatches patrons Alexandra Leon, Alistair Campbell Grieve, Andy Meakin, Beatrice De DeGraaf, Brendan Teeling, Colin Fieldhouse, Ed Coss, Bruins Girl, Gareth Copeland, Jeff Maple, Hugh Brennan, Indiana Fats, James Bevan, Jim Deary, Jim Getz, John Haynes, Josh Keeney, Lucy Tatner, Lynn Dawson, Mark Dewhurst, Mark Anscombe, Rob Griffith, Rory Muir, Ross Flowers, Ryan Diamond, Rob Coquelin, and Stephen Coulson. So, what can you expect over the course of Wargaming Month? But we're going to explore all kinds of wargaming genres. We're going to look at board games, we're going to look at miniatures, we're going to look at the way in which tabletops work, we're going to look at the computer game as a genre, and look at the, the strengths and limitations of a specific example there. It's worth saying that the computer game stuff is over on the YouTube channel. There is a, an apology in advance about the quality of the content of the recording for that. There was a big issue with lag over the course of that recording and it couldn't be shot twice. We'd already spent about four hours um, of work on it just in terms of recording um, by the point that we got a final product on that. But it'll the, the conversation that's tied into that will hopefully kind of spark your interest and you'll at least be able to get an idea of some of the things that we're talking about, even though the footage is um, painfully jumpy. So do head over to the Napoleon Assist YouTube channel for that. So lots for you to look forward to. I'll be back very soon. But until then, I'm Zach White. This has been the Napoleon Assist. Take care of yourselves, my friends. Stay well, stay safe. And as always, thank you for listening.